Hello everyone. This is the final episode of the first season of the show with PJ Thumb. I am here to ask for your financial support. New Narrative is chiefly supported by our members and our readers. We don't carry any advertising. As a movement for democracy, freedom of expression and freedom of information in Southeast Asia, we are here to fight for you and we need your help to keep fighting. If you've enjoyed this series and would like to see another one made, please do consider joining New Narrative as a member or donating to New Narrative. If everyone who watched one of these videos just gave us $2, we would have all the money we need to carry on. $2, that's just one kopi and not even atas kopi like Starbucks. I'm talking like one large kopi C. So please do consider becoming a member of New Narrative or donating to New Narrative. You can find out more at newnarrative.com slash donate. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show with PJ Thumb. In previous episodes, we talked about how the PAP government controls society by writing laws which are so broad that they effectively make everything illegal. And we also talked about the obsession of secrecy and control of information in Singapore, where we simply don't have a lot of basic information about Singapore. These two desires collide in the legislation on fake news called the Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act, or POFMA. We've had a lot of badly written, badly worded legislation by this PAP government, but every time I think it can't get any worse, the PAP say, hold my beer. But what POFMA reveals is also the problematic ways in which the goalposts are shifted on Singaporeans. Our ministers initially promise us that they are creating these laws for good, positive, constructive reasons, but then after the laws are passed, they use these laws to silence and oppress those who disagree with them. So today, I'm going to first talk about POFMA and its failings as a law, and then I'm going to talk about what POFMA reveals to us about how laws are created and abused in Singapore. POFMA was sold to us as a law to target deliberate misinformation campaigns like what Russia allegedly did to the last US elections, or hoaxes and falsehoods that threaten our safety or fracture our racial and religious harmony, such as in Sri Lanka, where a failure to correct rumors led to ethnic violence in 2018. That's great. But how does the law actually work? Not say through media literacy education, but by literally placing the power to decide on truth and falsehood into the hands of ministers. If a minister decides something is false, 
they can issue orders to correct, remove, or block access to the content communicated over the internet. There are other conditions for when they can do this, but as you'll see when I get to them later, they don't amount to much. So any minister can do this, even this guy. Why did the run happen? You know, run on the supermarket, right? Actually, uh, this one, uh, I damn not shit. You know what? <laughs> or this lady. I have not come across one single migrant worker himself that has demanded an apology. This power covers not only news articles, but Facebook posts, tweets, even your WhatsApp, emails, and other private forms of communication. The ministers can issue these directives without going through the courts or consulting any independent regulator first. If you don't agree with the order handed to you, you first have to appeal to the same minister who issued the directive and hope they say, oh, my bad, I was wrong, oopsie. And only after they turn down your appeal can you then appeal to someone else, the High Court. And while all of this is going on, you still have to obey the order. Disobedience is a crime. And of course, keep in mind that ministers don't have to issue a directive against everybody who writes something false online. Just certain people. Because they have... Discretion. So if a story the government disagrees with is published anywhere in the world, boom! The government won't need to turn to the courts. It won't even need to ask politely. It will just snap its fingers and the story would vanish. Okay, so how do ministers decide if something is false? Well, Section 2, Item 2 of the law says, quote, a statement is false if it is false or misleading. This, my friends, is what we call a tautology. A statement is false if it is false. The sky is blue if it is blue. Water is wet if it is wet. This doesn't set out any standard for falsehood or blueness or wetness. But that's not all. The law says, quote, a statement is false if it is false or misleading, whether wholly or in part, unquote. This means that even if one bit is found to be wrong or misleading, the whole statement can be considered false. This definition is so broad that the omission of a fact, accidentally or otherwise, is sufficient for something to be considered misleading. The problem is, it's impossible to include every single fact about anything in any statement. You can't. And even if you could, anyone could selectively quote it so that what they quote is misleading. So under this law, every statement can be considered false in some way. I didn't realize the PAP ministers were also philosophers. Is it possible to encompass all the truth of the world in a single sentence? This law allows ministers to issue orders against statements that are false or misleading as long as they're of the opinion that it's in the public interest to do so. So what's the public interest, you ask? Well, according to section four of this law, Public interest covers a wide range of things from public tranquility to friendly relations with other countries and even public confidence in public institutions. This means that if a minister thinks a statement might lead people to have less confidence in government agencies and other state organs, the statement could come under fire if it's deemed false. In other words, any criticism of the government qualifies. The law effectively makes all criticism of the PAP government illegal. But the PAP government insisted during public debate on the law that it wouldn't curb freedom of expression in Singapore. They said that this law would protect democracy and wouldn't be used to silence critics. 
But they've made all of these sorts of non-legally binding promises before. They've justified vaguely worded laws on the basis of public interest and national security before. We saw it with the Public Order Act, the Protection from Harassment Act, the Administration of Justice Protection Act, all of which were passed for good reasons and then used against government critics. They even tried to apply the Protection of Justice Administration Act retroactively against Li Sheng Wu. It's not enough that we have these laws. Now they want to apply them to things which happened before the laws were passed? Can the PAP government legislate against the laws of time itself? But there's nothing to worry about, says Minister of Law and Singapore's best one-man Voldemort Tribute Act, K. Shanmugam, seen here looking trustworthy. Trust us, he says. The problem is this isn't the time to be talking about trust. Legally binding texts like laws and contracts exist so that there can be agreements that are stronger than pinky swears. We know for a fact that past PAP governments have spread misinformation to silence critics, like in Operation Spectrum. Independent and open scrutiny helps to increase public trust in the government and provide assurance that there is no abuse of power or that the government itself is not spreading misinformation to silence its critics. So if you want a law against fake news, fine, but it should be administered by an independent watchdog, not by politicians. And what about the future? Surely such a law, written by a party often praised for its foresight and long-term planning, would have taken into account the possibility of a future rogue government, whether it is the PAP or otherwise? Here's what our law minister told the press when they asked him. I cannot vouch for how a future government will act. How can Mr. Shamugam, seen here in the movie Minions, justify making a law which can be easily abused by future governments? This is irresponsible lawmaking at worst. It's like if Darth Vader said, we will only use the Death Star for constructive purposes, but I can't vouch how a future government will use this planet-destroying weapon. Now, the PAP government said that the reason why the law allows a minister to act so speedily was because speed is of the essence when it comes to acting against fake news. Supposing something has happened and I want to stop the communication within the next two hours. Do you think it is possible by going to court? said Mr. Shamugam. We need to stop fake news within hours, even minutes of it getting out, to prevent it from spreading, said Edwin Tong, and Christopher D'Souza, and Cedric Fu, and Gang Yang Po, and Saktiandai Supat, and Charles Chung. So when they finally came to use the law, the very first POFMA directive took 12 days to be issued after the statement. Okay, so these episodes were filmed way in advance of the air date. So we recorded this bit in case there was any last minute breaking news that we wanted to put into the episode. Hello, this is PJ Thumb in May 2020. So, looking back over the past six months, what happened when the law was actually used? Let's examine one case study which actually went to court. On the 14th of December 2019, Minister for Manpower Josephine Teo used POFMA to order the opposition Singapore Democratic Party to carry correction notices for two Facebook posts and an article on the SDP website. 
the SDP then was legally obliged to post correction notices at the top of both Facebook posts and the article on its website, which it did. The SDP, however, then followed up with a statement that its articles were accurate based upon statistics previously released by the Ministry of Manpower. Okay, let's stop right there. POFMA was supposed to be about addressing deliberate online falsehoods and misinformation campaigns like the Russian interference in the US elections. But this dispute was about the interpretation of statistical data? I mean, look at these graphs. The SDP argues that based on nine years worth of data, the trend line is clearly going up. But if you say took only the last three years worth of data, then the trend line is clearly going down. That's the problem with interpretation of statistics. Everyone can be correct, depending on the parameters you use. I thought this was supposed to be about facts, not interpretations. And you know, we are just dealing with a very basic thing. Is something true? Something not true. Is the color of this table white or is it black? It's, it's factual. We are not dealing with opinions here. Opinions people can have, but you know, we are dealing with facts. Facts. But the Ministry of Manpower and the SDP both agree that the numbers, the facts, are accurate. Their disagreement is basically about how to interpret the facts. Statistical analysis. Statistics are like the dress. Remember the dress? Some see black and blue, some see white and gold. Who knew we needed to spend all the time arguing about the dress? We could have just asked Josephine Teo. Teo, unsurprisingly, rejected the SDP's appeal against her own decision. In other words... On self! Check on self! Now, these cases are supposed to be dealt with speedily. So ministers are obliged to reply within two working days. If the appeal fails, then the court date is set for six working days after the court filing, including a weekend that's eight days. And here is the second problem. Even if the minister responds within one working day for the original appeal, and even if the court hearing is completed on the same day, that's still a minimum of nine days for the process. Nine days. Hmm, why does that sound so familiar? Worse, under the cooling off day rules introduced in 2010, there is no campaigning on the 10th day, so our elections are now only 9 days long. 9 days! Yes, if POFMA is applied the day an election campaign begins, the length of time needed for the entire legal and appeals process would basically force an opposition politician or party to be branded as liars for the entire election campaign. The court hearing might actually end in favour of the opposition politician or party, but by then polling day would probably be over. And of course, there's no guarantee that the High Court will rule in your favour. It's pretty unlikely actually because the High Court can only overturn a minister's decision on really limited grounds. First, an order can be overturned if you didn't communicate the statement in Singapore. This is a practically impossible standard to meet since the law defines communicate in Singapore as making a statement that can be accessed by at least one end user in Singapore. 
So if the minister can see your statement from his or her smartphone, well, congratulations, you've communicated the statement in Singapore. Second, the court will support you if your statement was actually true or if it wasn't a quote-unquote statement of fact. But remember, under this law, the definition of a falsehood is so broad that virtually anything can be considered false. Third, the High Court can intervene if it's not actually technically possible to comply with the order. The law doesn't say that the High Court can overturn a direction because they disagree with the Minister's opinion about whether it's in the public interest or not. And most importantly, I think, the law doesn't say that it can be overturned if the court judges that the minister abused the law. So, when it came to the SDP, its appeal was dated 3rd January, which was a Friday. Teo responded the next working day, 6th January, a Monday. The SDP then filed a court application on 8th January, which was then heard on the 16th of January. The hearing was not completed till the 17th of January, and then the judge gave them until 22nd January for further submissions. And finally, on the 5th of January, Justice Ang Cheng Hock ruled against the SDP. So that's 34 days, over a month, from appeal to decision. But wait, there's more. On Thursday, February 26th, the SDP was given leave to appeal that decision. One month later, on the 25th of March, the, the Attorney General's Chambers requested that the SDP's appeal be heard together with the Online Citizen's Appeal against POFMA from a separate incident, and that arrangement was confirmed on the 1st of April. However, as of this recording, the SDP has yet to receive from the court registry the notice that record of proceedings is ready to be collected, and this notice will mark the start of a two-month deadline to file the appellant's case and other appeal papers. No doubt some of the delay can be attributed to the ongoing coronavirus crisis. But when the decision is supposed to be made quickly, and we're now over five months since the original appeal, and with at least another two months to go, it's quite clear that this is not quick at all. So okay, to be fair, over the last few months, the speed at which POFMA orders are issued has improved. Now, a POFMA order is usually issued within a few days of the original statement. But once that order is issued, final justice can take a long, long time. And the intervening months have also reinforced the points made in this video about POFMA. POFMA has generally been useless against the misinformation around the coronavirus, with only a few corrections issued. It has been useless against misinformation from outside Singapore. It continues to be overkill, used when even a simple press statement will do, most notably about Ho Ching's salary. It continues to be a badly written, poorly thought out law that places too much power in the hands of a government that can't be trusted with that power. And most importantly, as I'll go on to explain in a minute, it doesn't actually help stop the spread of fake news and misinformation. Oh, we're back. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, back to the previously recorded episode. And there's also been double standards because the government has responded to criticism of this law from Bloomberg, the South China Morning Post, The Economist, and the Washington Post by putting out statements that 
their articles contain multiple factual errors. Well, under POFMA, that means that those articles include falsehoods. So why is the PAP government not using POFMA against those international media companies? Why do they get press statements while Singaporean critics and politicians and political parties get hit with POFMA? In short, the way the PAP ministers have used the law makes it seem like they are more concerned with what Singaporean critics are saying about them on social media than actually tackling the serious problem of disinformation campaigns. And I get it, being insulted on social media sucks. But on the other hand, you are ministers. You're paid over a million bucks a year in public money and you have the power to make decisions that affect all of us. So it's part of your job to deal with public criticism. In court, Deputy Attorney General and former PAP member Rikuma was quoted as arguing that, basically, as long as a segment of the public can interpret the statement as false, the minister is justified in taking action against the statement. Which is insane! There are so many statements which some people believe to be true. The earth is flat. Vaccines cause autism. Climate change is not real. Liverpool are the greatest club in English football history. These are all falsehoods which no reasonable person will believe. But there are significant segments of the population who do believe them. But a minister had actually made clear that interpretations of factual data were not covered by POFMA. And this was Minister for Education Ong Ye Kang in the second reading of the POFMA bill in May 2019, where he said, So, first let me reiterate. The two gates through which any falsehood must pass before it can be corrected or removed by this bill. One, what is put up online must be a sta statement of fact that is false. Two, it must cause public harm. First gate, was there falsehood? There wasn't. They used real data. There wasn't falsehood. There was, they used real data. It was incomplete. But they did not fabricate data. Second, was there public harm? I don't think there was any riots or was there any very heightened tensions. It would fail at both gates. So a PAP minister did actually make clear that interpretations were not covered by POFMA. And then after the bill was passed, the government totally ignored it. And this, unfortunately, is just the latest example in a growing series of laws where the government promised us they would use it responsibly against genuine threats to our safety. And then after passing the law, has used the law primarily to silence critics. And to make things worse, the law doesn't address the serious problem of disinformation campaigns that it says it wants to tackle because it has no effective remedy against state actors. Massive sustained disinformation campaigns require both political will and plenty of resources. This is why many of the perpetrators or suspected perpetrators of fake news campaigns are actually state governments. How is this law going to allow Singapore to effectively combat such campaigns? Are they going to issue directions to Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin? On the contrary, this law will be incredibly harmful for the state of public discourse in Singapore. It makes ministers like Mr. Shamugam, shown here, invading the earth. It makes ministers the primary arbiters of truth in Singapore and could perpetuate a mindset 
in which people expect the government to do their critical thinking for them. Anytime someone writes something controversial and someone else disagrees, they could demand that the minister intervene to deal with the fake news. This places our ministers into an impossible situation because they will be expected to intervene against every single controversial statement. Otherwise, by not acting, it will be assumed that the statement is true. And this simply ends up creating an environment in which things are pushed into a false binary of fake news or truth, instead of teaching people to grapple with a range of expression and how to deal with conflict. Instead of challenging people to be critical thinkers, the government is trying to give itself the power to set out the official truth for all of us. This isn't protecting democracy. It's promoting passive reliance on authority. This will make us more susceptible to fake news. For example, when 1MDB happened in Malaysia, all the ministers stood behind Najib and declared it fake news. If 1MDB happened in Singapore, just one minister can simply declare it is a falsehood and the story is gone from the internet. Coronavirus aside, the PAP ministers have used the law to quibble over relatively minor issues. What would they do if someone came forward with something truly important? I spoke in a previous episode about how the PAP controls information and controls society. With this law in existence, who would ever dare speak up to contradict the PAP government? This law means that the truth will be whatever the party says it is, and anyone who says otherwise will be punished. Do you remember writing in your diary, freedom is the freedom to say two plus two equals four? Yes. How many fingers am I holding up, Winston? And if the party says there are not four, but five, then how many? Five. No. That's no use. You're lying. How many fingers, please? This is Grouchy the Malayan Sunbear. Thank you very much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please like and subscribe and please share with your friends. Also, please help us make more by becoming a member of New Narrative. It's only 52 US dollars a year or 5 US dollars a month. Imagine how much honey you could buy with that. Learn more about us at newnarrative.com slash hello. Thank you very much.